African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. A very good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, uh, Asanda Matzaunyane, today, and we are currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. On the program today, we take our focus on food security. We look at foodborne diseases and also look at how or what is now called GM foods. That's genetically modified food. We will furthermore look at whether we have enough food to meet the demand in the continent. The World Health Organization this year dubbed a theme, which is from farm to plate, make food safe. So we will be unpacking those dynamics here on African Dialogue. But before we do that, let's get our news update now with Onele Nsinzi. A look at your headlines. The Kenyan government names the mastermind of the attack on the Garissa University in Kenya. Rebels in Sudan's south vowed to disrupt voting in the conflict-hit region. And human rights group calls on the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo to investigate the burial of at least 421 bodies. The Kenyan government has named Muhammad Muhammad, also known as Elias Duliadin, as the mastermind of the attack of, on the Garissa University in Kenya last Thursday. Muhammad is the regional commander within Al-Shabaab in Kenya, which has since claimed responsibility for the attack. Kenya held three days of mourning for the 147 victims of the attack. However, the death toll continues to increase as more victims succumb to their injuries in hospitals. Channel Africa's correspondent in Kenya, James Shimanyula. We have at least some 68 or 70 bodies identified. I have been to the mall. Actually, all the bodies have been disfigured. They have been disfigured in the sense that you don't even see the face of a person. We have reports that one of the attackers was the son of a government official. The father said his son left the country a year ago to go to Somalia. What this implies is that um, Kenya is being fought from within rather than from outside the country. We live with enemies. 
Meanwhile, a march has begun in the Kenyan capital Nairobi to demand greater security following Thursday's deadly attack on Garissa University by gunmen of Al-Shabaab. After the march, a virtual will be held for the nearly 150 people killed by the gunmen. Hassan Ole Naado from the Supreme Council of Kenya's Muslims says such attacks lead the majority Christian population to be suspicious of all Muslims. What we were trying to do is to make people understand that it's not about Islam. It's about a problem that is more of a criminal activity that is being done in the name of religion. So if we are able to do that, we are going to diffuse tension within communities. Rebels in Sudan's south, Kordofan, have captured a lorry carrying ballot boxes to polling stations for nationwide elections due next week, vowing to disrupt voting in the conflict-hit region. Spokesperson Anu Lodi says that the Sudan's People's Liberation Army North ambushed and captured a vehicle loaded fully with ballot boxes. Last month, the army announced its campaign to disrupt presidential and legislative elections slated for April the 13th. Sudan's mainstream opposition is boycotting the election, which are widely expected to extend the rule of President Omar al-Bashir. Human rights has called on the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo to investigate the burial of at least 421 bodies. The government said the bodies buried at Maluku were dead fetuses and stillborn babies, as well as unclaimed corpses. However, human rights says the bodies might belong to people killed in anti-government protests in January or a crackdown on Kinshasa criminals. Scores of people died in violent protests against a proposed law to require a national census before an election. Opposition politicians say the move was an attempt to extend President Joseph Kabila's mandate. And finally, South Africa's State Security Minister David Mahlobo says parents should be aware of what their children read or do on social networks. This comes after a 15-year-old girl from the mother city Cape Town was taken off a flight to Johannesburg yesterday because it was suspected that she was on her way to join the Islamic State organization. Evidence found in her bedroom indicated that she had been in contact with the IS online. Mahlobo says parents must also be very aware of their children's behavior. Is there a behavior that is actually unbecoming? Do they find space that these children can share what are they actually doing on this social network? Because they can actually even be used for human smuggling, issues of trust that can happen. Other people can actually even commit acts of espionage in the, in the social network. Recapping on your top stories, the Kenyan government names the mastermind of the attack on the Garissa University in Kenya. Rebels in Sudan's south vow to disrupt voting in the conflict-hit region. And human rights group calls on the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo to investigate the burial of at least 421 bodies. Channel Africa News. Thank you, Onele, from that news update. Uh, just a reminder to you, our listener, Di- um, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours. That's Central African time. You are also welcome to interact with us via Facebook and Twitter, or you can simply SMS your views to plus 27823-325905. Now, coming to our topic, new data on the harm caused by foodborne illnesses underscores the global threats posed by unsafe foods as well as the need for coordinated cross-border action across the entire food supply chain. 
Unsafe food can contain harmful bacteria, viruses, parasites or chemical substances and cause more than 200 diseases ranging from diarrhea to cancers. Examples of unsafe foods are undercooked foods or animal of animal origin, fruits and vegetables contaminated with feces, and shellfish containing marine biotoxins. To help us unpack this global crisis, we have a few people on the line. Um, we've got Flora Malungani, who's a dietitian and lecturer at UNISA. Flora, we welcome you to the show. We also have Miss Tepsi Nzioane, who's a smallhold uh, farmer, as well as Dr. Tulasizwe Lamini, who's an agricultural economist at the ARC. We'd like to welcome all of you to the show. Um, I'd like to ask the first question, and if I can pose this to you, Flora. Uh, are we generally aware of the food safety in the continent? Is there a standard set that all food substances have to meet before they can be consumed by people? Are you there, Flo? Oh, okay. Can, can I uh, pose this to you, Mr. Dr. Tlamini? Um, please come again, uh, Afanda. The question is, are we generally aware of the food safety in the continent? Is there a standard that's set that all food substances have to meet before people can actually eat them? Yes, there are standards um, that, people have, that all food that is produced in particular in South Africa has to meet before they can be consumed by food, yes. Um, for example, in South Africa, we have the GMO Act, which actually makes it possible for um, farmers to actually produce um, GM technologies or gene- genetically modified seeds in South Africa. And all this, before they are actually released to the sector, they must have met um, certain standards. And Dr. Smith, welcome to the show, first of all. Good morning. Thank you. Unsafe foods, that cause, they cause about 200 deaths every year. That's the statistics. Are there measures in place to curb this problem? Um, I think there's more than enough uh, food safety acts and so forth that, uh, that uh, do uh, look at these kind of things. Uh, there's not always uh, enough people in the field to look at the food safety there. But, yeah, uh, the acts are there, the laboratories are there, and... Uh, uh, I think definitely there is enough capacity to look at food safety. What, what are the foodborne diseases and what can be done to eliminate these? That's for you also, Dr. Smith. Yeah, foodborne diseases, there are a number of... of uh, I think the, the important thing first probably is to say that uh, uh, the World Health Organization, uh, their definition of Food safety is the assurance that food will not cause harm to the consumer when it is prepared and or eaten according to its intended use. Now, food contamination can occur any, anywhere any, across the food production value chain from the primary producer. Uh, it can happen at the food processor, the retailer at home. Uh, so any stage from uh, farm to, to the table. Um, the most causes of, of uh, um, foodborne diseases are, of course, your, your microbiological acids. You can also get your chemical contaminants. Um, and that is uh, usually during the process, uh, it can happen, as I said, any place in the value chain, especially the microbiology. And it, uh, if, if we talk about food, we must also include water because water and food goes together and the contamination can also be 
uh, of course, from the, the water zone. And let's uh, welcome Dr. Kingston Mashingaize to the discussion. Dr. Mashingaize, are you there? Okay. Well, the next question I'd like to know is what are actually genetically modified foods? Can you un- unpack that for us, Dr. Tlamini? Um, genetically modified, um, I, I would have expected us and um, Dr. Kingston Mashingaize to actually elaborate on this point. I think he's actually one person who's actually more qualified to talk about it. I think we've just um, maybe lost him a little bit there. Uh, Or Dr. Smith, would you like to answer that question? What are genetically modified foods? Uh, I'm not really an expert on that, but I can help if the other person is not available now. Uh, Genetically modified uh, food is a product on the market that uh, is developed where it combated uh, certain diseases or you know, where you don't need to use any chemicals or uh, pesticide residues or that, that kind of stuff to uh, make the food safe. Uh, usually, as I understand it, the genetically modified food, when it comes to nutritional value, uh, it is a safe food, and, and, and it doesn't really uh, make a difference on the composition of the food. I think it just makes it more, um, uh, how is the word, uh, it can handle uh, pests and that kind of things much better. How safe is it, though, Dr. Smith? We know that they can't reproduce the GM foods without the intervention of science. How healthy, how safe is it? Well, uh, as I said, the, the, uh, we did some analysis on uh, genetically modified products and uh, compared it to the, uh, the normal product, if I can put it like a normal product, and there was no difference uh, in the composition. The nutritional composition, there was no difference. And Flora Malungane, we welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Yes, are you, I don't know if you're able to unpack uh, a little further on the genetically modified foods. And my question to you is, are the same nutrients found in organic foods also found in, in genetic, uh, genetically modified foods? Dr. Smith has already um, explained to us that there actually isn't that much of a difference. Yeah, I... I'll, I'll concur with, uh, with him in terms of the difference in the nutrients. But generally, our food chain has, has, has evolved in terms of the nutrient composition of food. And, and that involves all kinds of food, whether, whether conventionally produced or GMO. What we produced 10 or 20 years back is not as rich as what we, what we produced then and what we are producing now. What we are producing now is not as rich as what, what was produced by then. And that is all the crops, whether GMO modified or conventional. But my worry with GMO food from my side as a dietitian is, is, is the fact of they are taking the power of a seed from the population. Because in, in the olden days, we used to produce food in, in our own farm yard, and then we'll, we'll keep the seed for the next season. But with the GMO, you have to continually buy the seed from a supplier. Then you, you don't take control of that which you are producing. And we are in the long run going to, to, to kill or to destroy the, the farm yard which is to sustain us. We are now depending on the big producers to give us food. 
while we could produce our own food in, a, in the small scale and feed the nation. And again, what, what is produced now, and which is my worry in terms of bulk production of food, is, is it's not nutritionally sound as compared to what was produced in the farm and the backyard. Because how we used to prepare maize meal, for instance, is not the same as what the, the big companies are doing. They fortify, and we used to have the gem and the covering, which is a fiber, and, 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 the, and the part of the white part combined. And that was nutritionally sound, according to me, compared to what I'm eating now. You, you did mention a, an issue of, of supply, um, the demand of supply, and which is why I, I guess most people would be going in the direction of GM uh, foods. So the, the, some years ago, we saw a yellow maize meal in households, which was accounted to the shortage of maize meal in the country. Would you say that we're about to near that stage again? Because, you know, you did mention that we buy the seeds for GM, and it's usually the bigger producers that we're depending on. What about the smaller uh, producers and smaller farmers? Are we yeah. heading in this direction again, we're basically? We're not, we're not. I want to give a simple, I don't know if you can allow me to give a practical what I've experienced. I come from the village, and, and one of the villages that I went to, they, 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 were, they were not aware in terms of the seed they're buying, the gem of seed that they're buying. They planted the seed the first time, and guess what? The yield was this big, you know? And to them, was, it means this seed has got, it produces more. But they were not aware that the Amazonians use the same seed in the following year and the following year. And they keep on using it. What they produce the third year is just terrible. It's oh. just terrible. It, yeah. it, it goes off. And then it tells you that game of production says buy the seed, depend on the supplier. The, the, the small farming, the backyard farming, those small, but they do complement com, what the mass production is. We will hardly go into a shortage of maize if we do not destroy the small-scale production. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Lamini, as an expert on this, what is your take on this very same question? Well, I think it's a confluence of a lot of other factors. Um, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that um, there's actually a, a high demand for yellow maize, not just in South Africa, but in the, in the entire African continent. Um, white maize is actually our stable crop. Um, for a lot of other people as well. So what happens is um, often when we have a drought, for example, as we sort of are in a sort of a drought year this year, uh, we tend to then, people tend to consume maize, which is usually um, meant to be consumed by, for example, to feed um, animals. So in this particular case, that's why you find out that if there's been a drought, then people tend to eat more uh, yellow maize than, um, than, than they would have previously. But I think the issue of, um, you know, farm-safe seed versus using, um, you know, genetically modified seeds or buying seeds from the shop is actually a question of actually making farmers understand the differences in, 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 in these two um, types of seeds. For example, if you're looking at conventional seed, it's actually totally different from genetically modified seed in the sense that for genetically modified seeds, you would require more fertilizers more inputs to actually control, to actually make sure that the crop produces at its optimum. Whereas for conventional maize, usually you don't need as much um, fertilizers as, as you would for, um, in the case of um, genetically modified um, seed. 
and therefore then you, you, you tend to see differences. Farmers would be expecting it. And also their seed is actually more expensive. So a farmer would pump in his, all his money in there and only to get very little seed because maybe he didn't invest enough uh, fertilizers. I have to agree with my with the other speaker that uh, indeed it is true that farmers tend to save the seed and um, try to plant it the following planting season and actually they will be um, used, they will lose um, yields because of that. I'd like to bring in uh, Ms. Tepsi and so on, who's a farmer now. Do you also produce GM foods? Uh, yes, and, and good day to all of you. Maybe let me start by saying life generally is modified. When a baby is born, uh, that baby is vaccinated, you know, um, against polio, against any other diseases that may affect that baby. Otherwise, if it wasn't for those vaccines, would have, you know, um, high mortality actually of of, of babies. Uh, I was I was actually vaccinated when I was a baby. I'm sure, and that is why I'm still living. Coming to GMO food itself, um, I'm 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 a, a, I'm pro GMO. I must come out clearly. I am using a, a GMO, and it has helped me. And why I'm using GMO? Because GMO is preventing, um, you know, my 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 produce from from diseases, diseases that would, um, you know, uh, translate into a food uh, shortage, diseases that may also uh, put me as a farmer into bankruptcy. I'm sure we're told. Everyone knows that we're told almost every day that um, uh, climate change is here and how do we, the question is, how do we mitigate that uh, climate change? Of course, we need, scientists have to go to the lab and come up with uh, and do some findings and then come up with, with, with solutions. So GMO, um, I, I would want to say and comfortably uh, uh, say so that it is a way to go. I am using it, and yes, as the doc, as Dr. Dlamini has alluded to, it is expensive. And I wouldn't agree with uh, him by saying you use um, more pesticides. Actually, with with GMO uh, maize, for instance, you use less uh, pesticides. Fertilizer, it is the same uh, application as your uh, conventional uh, cultivar. So at the end of the day, GMO becomes, um, you know, a, a less because you're not going to uh, use more pesticides and you're still uh, going to have your produce, uh, a more tonnage that would feed uh, uh, more people. And there is um, a notion or a belief that GMO is safe. To me, that is baseless because it has not proven as yet scientifically. Someone out there is making money, you know, by saying GMO food is, is, is uh, poisonous or could, you know, bring uh, hazardous uh, conditions in, in human beings. It has been tested that, uh, on rats, actually, that GMO is safe. And I would want to say GMO is the way to go. Having said that, People should have a choice. Mm. And that is why it is important 
that GMO food should be labeled. You know, we, we, we live in choices. It's either you, you, you drive a Mercedes-Benz or you prefer, you know, um, um, a, a, a using a, a, a bike or, or, or whatever. So we, we need to allow people to, 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 to exercise their human rights. That is, have choices. We, we, so life would, is about choice. Yeah, so would you say that it's, it's not straining you financially or you'd rather take the financial strain because at the end of the day you feel like for you it's the, you know, the better option at, uh, in terms of supplying and getting your stock out there and getting your, your crops out there? Well, with, with, with the input, input costs are high, like conventional is, but when coming to profit, I make no money. Than the one, uh, uh, than the person who is using conventional, you know, who's going the conventional route, because with conventional, you still have to remove uh, 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 those weeds. You still have to apply a pesticide. Whereas with 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 GMO, you apply less pesticides. Let's take, for instance, a, a BT maize, you know, which uh, uh, has uh, um, this. It actually prevents a, a stock, a, 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 worm, a, a worm borer. That worm borer cannot even come closer to a BT maize. And, mm. and there is no, you know, um, it's not necessary for, for a farmer to use pesticides mm. because it is prevented already. It is coated with a chemical that prevents it from, you know, from being attacked by, by, by stock borer or, or worms. Mm. So okay. I, would, I, I would say it is profitable. I wouldn't say it is cheaper, but it is profitable, actually, to go GMO. And, and you, you're killing two beds with one stone. Okay. You, you would be having enough to feed nation, a nation. Yeah. Okay, we're going to continue uh, talking about this. It's a very interesting topic that we have today. Uh, We're just going to take a short commercial break and we'll be back after this. You're listening to Channel Africa. The show is African Dialogue and we focus on food security. We'll be back after this. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
And uh, welcome back. You're listening to African Dialogue and you tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. And um, Asanda Mazonia, your host for today. Today we're focusing on food security. And uh, now we're back from the break and we welcome Dr. Kingston Mashingaitza who joins us uh, in this discussion. Good, uh, good, is it morning still? Yeah, good morning, Dr. Mashingaitza. Good morning. Uh, Looking at meat, usually from the abattoirs to the butchery, that's where the meat gets contaminated, or that seems to be the belief. Are there measures in place to control that? Can I pose this to Dr. Smith and then Dr. Machingaitza? I'd like to ask you the next question after that. Dr. Smith? Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure what the, what the, the question. number is, but uh, there is definitely an act uh, that uh, looks after the abattoirs and uh, transport and everything, how the animals are slaughtered, everything, there is an act looking at it, yes. And then, Dr. Mashingaitze, how much has, has climate change affected the food supply in the continent? What, what are the typical examples of such? Well, typical examples of climate change are that... And how it affects the food supply. Okay. Also, the seasons are much shorter than before. And what, what? And how? How does it affect food supply in the continent? Then, in that respect, it means when we have a drought, for example, for maize, then we don't produce enough to feed, to, to feed ourselves. And earlier, um, Flora, who has now left us, uh, but she mentioned something about um, GM foods and how uh, they're not as rich. And, you know, she, she also gave us an example of practically what she's seen on the farms in terms of the evolution of food. You know, old people will tell you that in the olden days, they used to have certain types of veggies or uh, fruits that are not um, available anymore. What could have been the cause? You've mentioned climate change. Um, what, what else could have been the cause that there seems to be this evolution of food. That's for you as well, Dr. Mashingaitze. Well, when you look at food, you could actually say maybe the crops have become fewer than in the past. And one of the reasons could be, for example, the use of herbicides to control weeds, say, in maize crops. In the past, you would find maybe within the maize crop, you have other crops like pumpkins, cucumbers, and, and so on. But then when you start using herbicides, then all those other crops cannot be part of the production system anymore. And uh, Tepsi, as a farmer, can you come in and, and, and to the same question? What have you seen practically in terms of the evolution of food? I would say I think it is easier, you know, of late to uh, make or produce food than than before, Um, bearing in mind that the, um, you know, tools that can be used to increase uh, food production, uh, e.g. the greenhouses or the tunnels, you know, um, even though it is expensive actually to... um, pitch that on a farm uh, as a smallholder farmer, um, I think that is where government must come in to assist a smallholder farmer to be able to have access, you know, using uh, the new technology. 
I mean, we cannot run away from technology. It is here, and we, we live by technology. So I, I want to challenge African, uh, uh, you know, head of state, to uh, especially um, those who head uh, Department of uh, Agriculture in the various uh, states, you know, to consider uh, assisting us as smallholder farmers in terms of uh, usage of, of, of technology. Um, this is a, a one way of um, mitigating a, a climate change if we want to ensure that food is enough, uh, food is safe, and food is also um, affordable. Um, you know, when your food is exposed there, we, we've experienced um, terrible uh, catastrophic weather conditions. Uh, whereby as a, a smallholder farmer you are hit by um, a drought and um, all the inputs, you know, have been sown in the soil and uh, you are not uh, reaping any fruit. Um, and, and this uh, does not actually uh, affect me as a smallholder farmer, but it also affects, um, you know, um, job creation. As a smallholder farmer, I'm expected to uh, create jobs. So um, with technology actually is there to assist me in terms of uh, creating a more uh, sustainable job. So I would say yes. Um, you know, traditional way, yeah, it is a, a, a only a niche, a, 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 not, not, not actually a, a, a niche, but, but, you know, there is a belief that uh, producing food uh, uh, in a traditional manner is, safer is, but we, we're living in the world of change, and uh, we have to embrace this technology, and yeah, and, and, and we, we need people that would um, uh, be strong campaigners for, 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 for technology. Uh, with the use of cell phones, we are not complaining. It is, you know, all nice and all good to use cell phones, but when coming to our stomach, we, we seem to, you know, turn a blind eye and we seem to criticize a lot rather than uh, come on, coming up with solutions in embracing um, this technology that is being presented to us. And then, Dr. Lamini, if you can maybe just also come into there, into the uh, economic side of, of uh, the economical side of the evolution, evolution of food, as uh, Tepsi has mentioned, um, you know, the, the issue of the finances. Yeah, thanks, Asanda. I think I, I I sort of agree with what Dr. Mashinga has said and some aspects of what um, the last speaker just said. I think one of the key things that we need to be cognizant of when we talk about these things, the issue of the growing population. Um, you know, we have more people today than we did, say, in 1900s or even in 1950, and therefore we need more and more and more and more food. And when it comes to, to some crop, some crop varieties are not as productive today as they used to be in the past, and or even if they are productive, they will not be able to actually meet our food needs. And that is where then maybe we need um, to begin to talk specifically to smallholder farmers, because on the one hand, yes, GM technologies are very good. They increase the productivity of, uh, of their land, but the one key thing is that you need the right set of inputs to actually gain those um, benefits from those crops. 
and and I think that's 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 the big thing here is that smallholder farmers, some of them they can afford to buy these technologies, but because they don't have you know all the other resources for example to buy fertilizers or for example to um, you find out that most of the time their uh, fields are unfed. And so they make these investments, but only to get nothing at the end of the day. So these are some of the issues that we sort of need to talk to more and more and more. And I think that's what the last speaker was sort of alluding to. The technology is very good, but, you know, <laughs> like with any other technology, in the hands, in the wrong hands, it doesn't actually give you the right kind of benefits that you would have expected to get from it. And I think that's the biggest problem. I don't think that there's a problem with uh, smallholder farm. I mean, with commercial farmers, they're actually using the technologies. And I mean, currently South Africa, it's, there are some farmers who are getting up to 13 tons per hectare of yield, which actually means that that farmer makes a lot of money per hectare of maize um, produced in South Africa than any other thing. So whereas smallholder farmers are not even getting a ton of maize per hectare. So you can see that the discrepancies. One of the problems is that they don't understand the technology. They haven't been taught on, you know, how to use the technology. They're just getting it, and they're trying to use it, but they're not getting the best out of it. And so we need to deal with the issues of, you know, uh, access to input in terms of fertilizers, access to fences. They must get their land fenced, and then they can begin to gain the benefits of the technology. Yeah. And how do we deal with that um that challenge are there mentors maybe available for for uh, smallholder farmers like Ms. Tepsi Nzwani from the ARC? Yeah. yeah, well, the Agricultural Research Council is actually involved in a lot of programs which are actually seeking to build capacity in the rural sector. And part of the stuff that we do obviously is to teach farmers about these technologies and also to tell them that you can't go for a technology that's a bit higher than you. You need to first understand your environment, understand what you are doing. Um, first and foremost, before you can actually go for a bigger technology that will require a lot of time, well, in terms of, you know, a lot of investment in terms of the fertilizer. And obviously, you can't buy a technology that's a little bit more expensive when you do not even have the fence to actually protect them. So farmers, we are actually building capacity through various programs um, in the rural sector, especially in the former homeland in South Africa. We're also bringing in farmers to teach them on how to produce just crops in general so that they can have an understanding of how these technologies um, Work. Okay. And Dr. Mashingaidze, earlier we heard that um, the ARC is busy with a project where they are trying to produce drought-tolerant maize. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, the ARC is involved in a project that we call Water Efficient Maize for Africa, WEMA. It's a project to develop drought-tolerant maize varieties, particularly for smallholder farmers that cannot afford irrigation facilities, and like the large-scale commercial farmers. It's, it's an African project in the sense, at the moment, it involves South Africa, Kenya, Uganda, Mozambique, and Tanzania. We are using two approaches, conventional breeding to develop drought-tolerant conventional hybrids, and we are also using... The, is an additional technology, GM technologies, to enhance the drought tolerance. At the moment, we have re- released and registered, for example, in South Africa, two drought tolerant 
means hybrid, with a lot more already registered in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. Then in terms of the GM technology, this is a technology that was donated to the project by Monsanto. And at the moment, we have submitted an application to government for general release of the technology. Once we get that approval, then, then we start also releasing and registering GM drought-tolerant hybrids in South Africa. Can it be accepted? countries yeah. a bit behind in terms of not having the, the, the necessary regulations in place to be able to release the, the technologies, but essentially in South Africa, we expect that perhaps by 2017, mm-hmm. we could have GM drought-tolerant hybrids available to farmers, particularly smallholder farmers. And then the technology is going to be free of technology fees to smallholder farmers, so okay. that in the end the seed can be more affordable to smallholder farmers. Can it be extended to other crops, or is it just maize at the moment? At the moment, the project is funded for, for maize, but we don't see reason why in future the technologies could not be expanded to other crops. Okay. We're going to take a, another short break, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome back. You're listening to African Dialogue in uh, on uh, Channel Africa. We're talking about food security today. And just our final question. We are actually out of time. Uh, Dr. Smith, I'd like to ask you this one. Uh, chickens are now grown in a few weeks. Are they healthy? Because... You know, it, it, I know like normally it's about six weeks for a chicken to be considered fully grown. Now, you know, there are all sorts of technologies that are being used where chickens are grown in less time. Is this healthy? Uh, it's, it's about the same as what we talk now all the time about the GMOs. It's advancing technology and uh, we cannot stay behind. I mean, the, the, the demand is so big. Uh, I'm actually more uh, dairy men than uh, okay. meat men. So I cannot really answer that, but I know the, uh, once again, if we go to the nutritional value, uh, that is the important thing. So, and I'm sure they are analyzing the products for the nutritional uh, content. And as long as that is uh, uh, in specs, if I can put it like that, then the product is fine. Okay. All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. And thank you so much, uh, gentlemen and lady, for joining us today on African Dialogue. Thank you. Thanks. All right. That's where we leave it for today. And uh, just a reminder to... uh, 
um, for African Dialogue that it comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via Facebook and Twitter or you can SMS your views to plus 27823325905. Thank you to my producer today, uh, Dumelo Zulu, um, executive producer Brett Wilkinson, technical producer Ace Kenny. I'm Asanda Mazzaunyane. See you tomorrow. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Let's get an update now from the world of economics with Wisani Matebula. Thanks, Asanda, and good morning. The world's leading diamond company, DBS, and the Zambian government continues to finalize the details regarding the NEMDEB holding sales agreement. And as such, a short notice a contract has been established for the existing uh, site holders in Namibia. Currently, there are 11 site holders in the country, and a new list will be announced once DBS and the government agree on a new agreement. David Johnson of the BS press office said on inquiry that the BS will communicate information about the outcome of the application process for the Namibian Diamond Trading Company site holders for the remainder of 2015 to 2018 supply agreement. Uganda's Revenue Authority will deploy its customs officials at the port of Dar es Salaam by the end of this month. This comes at a time when Tanzania is strategizing to embark on a fully-fledged single customs territory during the next financial year. The URA officials will undertake the mandate of facilitating clearance of cargo destined to Uganda at the Dar es Salaam port. And South African Airways will oppose suspended Chief Executive Officer Munrabi Sikalawe's bid to get the Labour Court to hold his disciplinary hearing. SAA spokesperson Tladitladi says the Labour Court application appears to be conceited attempt to avoid a proper inquiry. Galawa states in an affidavit that he believes that SAA board chairperson Dudu Mieni intends to obtain an incentive payment by driving SAA business towards aircraft manufacturer Airbus. 
He makes serious allegations against Mieni in relation to her alleged preference for Airbus over its rival, Boeing. North Africa now Libya's Prime Minister Abdullahi Al-Tinini said his government will run its own oil sales and deposit revenues abroad in a bid to divert proceeds away from a rival self-declared administration in Tripoli. Crude revenues are at the heart of a battle for control of the North African OPEC producer that has pitted the two rival governments against each other in a growing conflict four years after the civil war ousted strongman Muammar Gaddafi. On Sunday, a suicide bomber struck at checkpoint near the Tripoli-allied town of Mizrata, killing at least six people and wounding four more, 40 more, and that's according to a local news agency there. And the observation by Bank of Zambia Deputy Governor Bualangandu that uh, reducing unnecessary imports is the ultimate solution to arrest uh, the free-folding quacha is timely. Zambia has been dependent on importing essential commodities for a long time, and the country should focus on strengthening exports. Briefcase is of the view that uh, value addition in sectors such as mining and agriculture should be enhanced for the country to export more finished products. Let's look now at your financial indicators. The dollar trading at 11.81 South African rents at 9.82 Botswana Pula and 7.67 against the Zambian Kwacha. Looking now at uh, international currencies, it's trading at uh, 0.67 to the British pound and 0.91 against the euro. Commodities, we start off with gold at $1,212, platinum $1,166 a fine ounce. Brand crude oil is at $57.43 per barrel. That's how it's looking this hour. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Musibudi Makura is going to give us an update on what's happening in the world of sports. Thank you, Sanda. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with football news, African football will have to get through an unusually large load of serious business, but their Congress in Cairo this week will nevertheless be overshadowed by the latest top, by the latest stop in the election campaign for the FIFA presidency. The three candidates vying to unseat incumbent Seblata will be all in the Egyptian capital for tomorrow's Confederation of African Football Congress to canvass support on the continent, expected to be solidly behind the FIFA president as he bids for a fifth successive term in office. 
South African football is in mourning. Ransi Mugwena, the general manager of Free State Stars, has confirmed the sad passing away of the club's top striker and former Bafana Bafana player Richard Hanyagane in a tragic car accident near Bethlehem in the Free State province early this morning. Hanyagane was involved in a head-on collision with a truck on the road between Bethlehem and Castle earlier in the early hours of this morning. The 32-year-old passes away a few months after burying his brother Joseph Hanyagane a former Golden Arrows and Mpumalanga Blake Aces player in the hometown of Kimberley late last year. He played his last game for the club last Saturday against Amazulu. It's obviously a great loss to us, um, but I think more so a greater loss to the family. Not too long ago, they buried another one of their children in Joseph Hinekani, uh, Richard's brother. And just four months later, they, you know, they're now faced with this. Hanyagane, a 2008 and 2009 APSA Premiership top goal scorer with 19 goals, also earned nine international caps with Bafana Bafana. Warren Wells became the first Nigerian representative to go past in the first round of Cup Club competition this year after they held. Apologies for that. Still on football news, South African Premiership side Kaza Chiefs coach Stuart Baxter insists he's still proud of his side's performance in the CAF Champions League despite crashing out with a 3-0 aggregate defeat at Raja Casablanca. Chiefs headed to Morocco looking to overturn a 1-0 deficit from the first leg in March but were unable to find a way through and were subsequently punished late as um, on as Oshuangwa Oguardo made the most of the two defensive hollers to wrap up a 2-0 win on the night. And despite the continental adventure coming to an end at the qualifying first round, Baxter feels Chiefs' attacking intent and determination to get forward was exactly the kind of performance they needed, even if they let themselves down in front of goals. Nigeria's Warrior Wolves ensured that Nigeria still have representation in the continent when they held the bet of Ethiopia to goalless draw in Addis Ababa at the weekend. The draw ensured that Warrior Wolves advanced to the next round of the CAF Confederation Cup, having won the first league 2-0 in Wari two weeks ago. The bet dominated the match and could have scored at least a goal, but goalkeeper Daniel Abaki made several reflex saves for his team. Our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani reports. Wari Wolves became the first Nigerian representative to go past in the first round of Cup Club competition this year after they held the beat of Ethiopia to a gilded draw um, this Sunday. Wolves does advance 2-0 aggregate and will now face CR Congo Football Club MK Etachante and FCMK who sent back into the next team Alale Shandy. MK beat Alale Shandy 5-1 in the second leg on Friday. They are back-to-back Congo Cup winner in 2013 and 2014. And finally, in athletics news, the 2015 Two Oceans Marathon winner Motoka Nkabutane says he had to push very hard in the last two and a half kilometers to speed away from his competitors as the Lesotho runners reigned supreme again in Cape Town early on Saturday morning. Nkabutane, who had finished fifth in 2013 and second in 2011, finished first in three hours, 10 minutes and 27 seconds. He takes over this title from his countrymen, Nebanya Ngoka, who won this last year. Gabutani wins $21,000 and says the 56-kilometer course was very tiring. I'm feeling tired because 56 is too, is too long for me. The race, is, uh, it was nice because the wind is very, very not 
tough for me. Yes, I have to push because I didn't know what is happening at the back. I'm a front runner, so I have to push because if the guys are coming back, so I'm not sure if they're going to pass me. Gabudane, who turns 31 this year, says the heavy winds posed a serious challenge to him, but an effective training program that lasted over six months paid off at the end. It was not good for me because the wind is too heavy. So I decided to keep my pace, uh, to maintain the pace so that I can finish the two oceans marathon. The preparation was good because uh, I trained for six months. That is why I managed to win the two oceans marathon. Those are your sports news at the hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
We must keep it alive.